I can say is that you need to protect yourself against any intruder, anyone that you don't know in your in your apartments or your complexes, and make sure your complexes are secure. We're trying to marshal all the resources we possibly can, number one, to prevent any further homicides, and secondly, to identify our suspect or suspects. A lot of these students are very scared. Yes, and I, I cannot blame them. Obviously, you begin to wonder how secure you are in your own home. We're back with part two of the Gainesville Ripper and the final part. So it is a packed episode, this one. I'll go ahead and (laughs) you're fine. I will go ahead and warn you guys that my notes are like all over the place. So I'm going to be pulling up some articles every now and then. But yeah, today we are going to conclude part two of the Gainesville Ripper part of my Scream series, which there will be more to the Scream series, but next time it'll be Daniela's turn. So this is kind of just going to wrap up the first set of crimes that inspired the writing of Scream. So with that being said, oh my gosh, I feel like I can't even skip over this because it's been everywhere and I know everybody's probably so tired of it, but I can't just ignore the fact that Scream is part of this discussion and Part of the cast of Scream 2 is Jada Pinkett Smith. So Stop let's it. wrap it back around to pop culture, my favorite. Um, the slap heard around the world. What does everybody think? Oh, my God. <laughs> I it's feel like it was a publicity stunt. Do you really think? I mean, I could I could imagine that it would. It makes sense. Yeah. It also but at the same time... <laughs> I feel like everybody was do they can they drink at those things? Oh yeah. Okay, so I feel like maybe people were drinking. You like everybody was drinking <laughs> and Jada was like, "Bitch, she looked at Will she like, did. you better motherfucking say something, motherfucker." I really because feel. Yeah. I think I saw a picture. He was laughing. He was yes. laughing. He thought it was funny, and then she, like, gave him the side eye, like, the fucking stink eye, like, hey, mm-hmm. you better mm-hmm. fucking say something. Right. So then he does it. It's just so sad. Like, I, I just- agree. I agree. I mean, it's a lot deeper than people want to, like, I don't know. I feel weird about it because there's, like, different sides. And, of course, bottom line, violence, not okay. On TV, like, really, he just humiliated Chris Rock over a joke, um, but, he, but you know, then he he had humiliated Jada, and he, that's not the first time he's made a joke um, at her expense. Because when she boycotted the Oscars previously, he pretty much said like you weren't invited anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, wait a minute, but why? So I don't, I don't, I don't understand. But the bottom line is, is like comedians are like shaking in their boots, like, oh, I could get punched for any for saying literally anything. So that's that's really what kind of turned the whole thing into a discussion about people just getting on stage and hitting people. It could have been anybody who did it. But the fact that it was Will Smith, a gave him like privileges to like not be freaking arrested at the event. Mm -hmm. But then also it's like seeing a fallen hero um, go down. So and it's it's also giving me very much like him trying to be validated by Jada, which feels yeah. like how he's constantly trying to get her validation. So that hurts me too. Um, not to mention the fact that it's no surprise that people think he's like a soft guy. You know, he's very nice. Yeah. 
he's over it. He snapped. Like you can't push him anymore. Um, He's been going to therapy. So there's like a bunch of different things. But I don't even feel like he snapped. I feel like he – well, if he snapped, just, it was because yeah. he snapped like – He didn't want to be the nice her. guy anymore. Right. Like, well, yeah. For like, her. Because, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't like her. And usually mm-hmm. I hate whenever people are like – quit, or I Blame hate whenever people like blame – Mm-hmm. The women for mm-hmm. everything. But I honestly, I honestly. She's kind of toxic. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is what I feel. It's just the way she handled the whole entanglement situation. He's tired of looking like a passive person that's just going to take it down. It, yes. And yes. so I feel like he mis-targeted his anger and his Absolutely. like frustration. Yeah. And it had nothing and, to yeah. do with – I honestly – I don't, none of this had anything to do with the joke or the fucking, or Chris Rock. Like it was just, mm-hmm. the those situation. were just the two pieces of part of the mm-hmm. game that were in play at the time. You know what I mean? I couldn't agree more. Like that's just what happened to be the last straw for Will. Um, not excusing him, once again, not excusing him, not excusing Chris. Yeah. I mean, I know like comedy. People have their opinions about comedy. I personally have started the the whole like um, comedy at other people's expense. Like it, if you can't be funny in more than one way, like I don't want to watch you bully somebody from the stage all all the, all day long. You know what I mean? But yeah. at the same time, like you can't just punch people over a joke. So right. I'm you know I'm like kind of neutral when it comes to like what's funny and what's not funny until it comes to to the point where it's like too dark. Like okay, that was not a funny. Like nobody's laughing. Yeah. Um, but the fact – it felt like a skit. It really did. Like, I thought yeah. after he smacked him, like, that was part of it. Until he got to his seat, then it really shifted everyone's mood. Like, oh, it, he was yeah. not messing around. Even Chris Rock didn't even know, like, what to do. After he got smacked, he was just like, wow. Yeah, he was very <sighs> confused. but Or, like, amazed, I guess. Right. He could have done so many different things. He could have just screamed, keep – your, my wife's name out of your fucking mouth like From, yeah or he could have gone him. up there and like pretended like he was gonna hit him not actually hit him i don't know what it it was like so surreal i i agree like i don't know what if he even thought anything before he started just walking I'm up sure there he, he walked up there I'm so sure, calm yeah i'm <laughs> sure that he just was seeing red Right, right. After he saw how upset Jada was, which once again, I can sympathize. You know, she has a condition, um, alopecia, and, you know, she's had a, some kind of like a hair journey throughout her life. And she had discussed it previously in like some interview. Then Chris Rock had like um, the good hair documentary film that came out talking about black women and, and their relationship with hair in general. So like to make that joke, it almost seems weird to me after all of those connections were made. Like, I don't know. But did he even make that joke up? Like, wasn't there he didn't write it exactly? That's what I was gonna say. Like, somebody wrote the joke, and then they had to watch Chris Rock get slapped because of it, and not they didn't and get it any wasn't kind even of like a good joke. Like, it was it really wasn't like okay, GI Jane, okay, whatever. Um, yeah, like it didn't. That was dumb. Like, it's like a. It was like a. It was Adam like why Sandler mention joke. Like, shut the right. Fuck up. That's not even funny. Fix your writing. And then I heard I didn't watch the Oscars either. Like, I am so into films and movies, but at this point, it's like a joke. So I didn't watch it. But I also heard that like the whole Amy Schumer and like Wanda Sykes hosting their jokes also weren't that great, and they made a joke at Kirsten Dunst's expense, and I didn't think that was cool either. 
Oh my God. Speaking of Amy Schumer, mm-hmm. I heard on TikTok, Ooh. I think it was TikTok, that she stole a bunch of other comedians' uh, material. <gasps> yeah. Like she t- she plagiarized them basically. Oh my gosh. No way. That's horrible. Yeah. I was like, mm. I fucking knew it. I don't fucking like that bitch. I don't know what it is. You got a bad feeling about her? Yes, um, dude. She gives me such a weird vibe. And I love bitches like that. Like fucking Chelsea Handler. I love her. Vulgar women. I love yes. it too. I get but what you I mean. I just cannot stand A lot of my friends sure. don't like her either. And that's interesting. So, and okay. Well, I'm going to have to look into that. So she's um, stealing jokes. Not cool. Yeah. Um, she just got a new show on Hulu, Life of Beth or something that I was gonna try to watch, but it, it's the same thing with me too. Like I'll, I'll hate on Amy Schumer, but then I'll laugh at her jokes. So I don't know. I'm like, there's <laughs> well, a love hate relationship. Jokes. <laughs> well, oh, there you go. Now I know. <laughs> I have to find the creator of those jokes and give back. I, but, um, the girl that, um, was saying it, or I'm assuming it was a girl, um, she was very like when I I just glanced over at her for a second and um because mm-hmm. Jeremy was watching it and I was just, I just heard it and my of course my fucking ears perk mm-hmm. up I'm like hello gossip <laughs> yep uh but she looked exactly like the type of person that could execute those jokes oh. and it not make me like. Like make me make that noise like them, really? Because <laughs> that's exactly what Amy Schumer makes me do. <laughs> you don't laugh. You just go, Ugh, really? Um, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. Well, now we know that they they weren't hers. So yeah, sucks. Wonder what that's what that's gonna do to her career. We shall see in the coming weeks. Um, if anyone even takes that bitch seriously, I just can't. I can't. I, I can't don't. take anything seriously anymore. There's gonna be food shortages. Like it's all Stop. over. There's so many things. It's are... too many things, really. But wow, um, we started off very strong. I couldn't, well, I couldn't really not, I couldn't skip over it. Like after I realized like, okay, I'm doing the scream, like, okay, yeah, we're focusing on scream one because that's the writing that got inspired by all this stuff. But then I was looking it over and I was like, scream two has Jada in there. And there was a huge thing that happened. Mm-hmm. So I had to discuss it. I don't know. I, I feel bad for Will though. I, I will mm-hmm. say I feel bad for Chris, but I also feel bad for Will. And then yeah. Jim Carrey went and did that interview talking about how spineless Hollywood is for giving him a standing ovation after having just seen him assault somebody on stage. And it really did taint that whole Oscar experience because Will Smith, I actually think he's a pretty good actor. And I, I was really happy that he got an Oscar, but and he was crying. <laughs> it was all fucked up. I couldn't watch it. I did not watch his speech. I've only read about it. So I didn't, I didn't know. I've only seen pictures. Like I literally, I had no idea the Oscars were even going on. Mm-hmm. Until that whole thing happened. Right. Um, but Jim Carrey said something else, and I was like, oh, he was like, if I were him, if I were Chris Rock, I would sue him. Yep. I would sue Will Smith, and I'm I, I'm all for, you know, getting justice and shit. But at the same yeah. time, like, it makes me you. think back to the, oh, he's probably American. <laughs> Because only Americans <laughs> fucking sue people for everything. 
True. I don't know. I'm caught. I don't know what, I don't know what the consequences should be, but the discussions are really just like all over the place. Um, Yeah. Because it just, it, it just brings in so many other topics like black women and their struggle existing, you know, like why do we always have to pick on the black woman? You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's always something like that and and it, it spirals into this. And so now it's like, Okay. But with their relationship being so messy, people are just ready to to well, bring it back to an old issue. Well, that's situation. Right. That's the dynamic that their founda- you know, their relationship was founded on. So. I do want to know. I do want to know now that you've said that and we're making mm-hmm. this even longer. Um <laughs> <laughs> What do you think would have happened if their relationship had actually been like really strong? She hadn't cheated. And they hadn't mm. taken that break. Like, just all the things that is wrong with their shit. If they were, like, a solid-ass couple at the award show and Chris Rock made that joke about her, do you still think she would have been like, you need to go fucking say no. something? Absolutely so not. So that is, that is the saddest shit I've How ever heard. Ever. Like, her thing wasn't the joke. It was because... She thinks Will is spineless, like you said. Mm-hmm. It was a public display that Will Smith thought would make him happy by making his wife happy, but he made everyone just look at him in a different, a completely different light. And um, I will go on to say that Jada and Will, it goes far back with Will trying to impress her. Like he spent three years planning her 40th birthday and like, tried to buy her an island, like all kinds of stuff. And he even went so far as to find the the person whose ancestors owned her family as slaves in the past and had him apologize to her. And she pulled Will Smith aside and said, that was the most disgusting display of ego I have ever seen. So he, I think at that point, stopped going above and beyond to like make... Which, like, that's drastic. Like, to find someone who owned your family a long time ago. Like, their family owned that your family. That's But you know what? That At that point, though, they don't – she doesn't love him anymore. I thought that, too. I, I, I feel bad. I don't know. Like, I, it's, it's hard for me because I will um, – I love the idea of, like, open relationships and people who can health – like, healthy people who can be in a healthy open relationship. Good for you. In this case, I hate that it's in the public eye because this is an example of where this is like manipulation. Like yeah. it's it's like I don't want to let you go, but like I don't I'm like not too interested in like hanging out anymore. So yeah. let's just kind of live separate, like do our own thing, but like we're soulmates forever. Yay. Yeah. Like I don't it. get it. I don't yeah, get it. But I don't know. But good luck to them. Change. She Mm. should know that, though. Like, I just don't. Mm -hmm. People are constantly evolving. That is one reason why I Mm -hmm. don't want to ever get married. Is because I don't know Mm -hmm. if I'm gonna feel the same way about this person, fucking fifty years from now. You know what I mean? Amen. Yes. And I don't want to have to do that to either of us. Right. Right. So. I just don't see how she would, I don't know. It's a whole fucking thing. And I, so yeah, I think Jada's the problem, but everyone, 
And their mom is like, oh, black women's the problem, like you said. And it's just. No. Yeah, it's comp. That's why it's so complicated. Like, I don't want to point the finger. I just thought I'd bring up all of these little things that have gone on having to do with them, the three yeah. people involved, just so that we could kind of get a better context on rela- the relationships between all three of them. So I don't know. Chris Rock and <coughs> Jada, have, you know, they voiced characters in Madagascar together. So like they've all worked together in some kind of way. And so I don't know. It was just a weird – it was a weird – interaction mm-hmm. on the night of the Oscars. But so Jada was at the beginning of Scream 2. If anybody remembers, she was brutally murdered within like the first 10 minutes. So if you do blame her for this whole scenario, just go watch that scene. Ooh, <laughs> I was going to say I'm just kidding. I had to break the ice. Um, we can't blame. <laughs> we can't point fingers. Everybody, you know, go to therapy, whatever. Figure it out. <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> We don't have time for this. There are larger interactions going on in the world that we need to be yes. paying attention to. Okay. So um, we continue today with part two of my Scream series from film reels to real kills. Literally, it was so late when I put the name in for the episode. I didn't know what to name the series. So thoughts and comments would not be appreciated. Just kidding. You can tell me what you think, I guess. Mm-hmm. So when we left off, the Florida community of Gainesville was in turmoil over who was targeting these young women in the university, but they had no idea not only who this guy was, but where he came from and how he had killed before he even got there. Before we get back to him, let's leave Danny rolling for a moment. And this is the part where the red herring almost goes down for the murders he did not commit. An 18-year-old freshman named Ed Humphrey was taken into custody. Bizarre, real traits that you'd think belonged to a real serial killer he possessed, making it all the more believable that he was the one they were looking for. Which, um, who saw the woman across the street from the girl in the window? Anybody? Bueller? Did you watch it? Yes, all the way through. Uh, I wanted to because I heard it was really good, but I haven't. It was so funny. It was so funny. Um, it was good. <clears throat> it was it was very entertaining. It was a fun ride. But um, so I guess I can't say what I was gonna say then because you haven't seen it. Hmm. Don't you spoilers? Do but one of the suspects totally seemed like he was gonna be the killer. But looks can be deceiving, just like here. In this scenario, neighbors had reported seeing Humphreys carrying long knives and walking around. His appearance was kind of scary to people. His face was scarred from two car accidents, and his mood swings were controlled by lithium that he took if he took it, if he decided to take it that day. He appeared unwell to most people who came across him. He was actually arrested for battery after he had an altercation with his grandmother. She's 79 at this point. She said he was high on drugs, and a neighbor reported that the grandson is running in and out of the home and shouting that he is going to murder the grandparents. The next day, he is seen running in circles and talking to himself on Patrick Air Force Base. A base officer approached him, and he started chewing on a tin can, They searched his car, and he had two knives under his seat. And then it just escalated from there. He had gone in with a, like, I think a a $100,000 bail or something. It increased to a million dollars. That being said, let me take it over to...
theorlandosentinel.com where Ed Humphreys was interviewed years later after this whole thing happened. And he just kind of lets, lets them know that even being accused of uh, or associated with the Gainesville murders completely just ruined his whole life. But there are some important details in this article. And um, even back then, Ed Humphreys was right by saying, Ed Humphrey was right about saying that the media can control so many things and it's just really messed up. He says, I feel 100% that the media is the main reason our country is the way it is. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Say that again for the people in the back. Um, first of all, a lot of people watch TV a lot, five hours a day on the average. On average, Well, they're influenced so much by what they watch and they think, oh, yeah, I saw where they got the suspect. Um, and they don't even know what the terminology is. Don Maines, an investigator on the case, said there were several tips on Humphrey. And when, he's, when they searched his home, they found magazines about knives, guns, and girls. In this context, it seems threatening, but maybe most men were interested into, in these topics, right? Now we know anyone can have those interests. But of course, when it comes to lawyers, they can use that. Oh, yeah. And it was reported that he listened to loud, like music really loud and it sounded like heavy metal or something. So all kinds of people were coming out of the woodwork saying like, oh, yeah, he's super. Oh, yeah. And he would also go out for long periods at night. So it just seemed very suspicious. And this completely changes his life after he is eventually exonerated. And here's where I refer back to Scream because Cotton Weary was accused of killing Sidney Prescott's mom. And um, we all love the part where Gail Weathers and Sydney are outside the police, um, the, the police department, and she gets punched. You remember that part? Yes, I do. <laughs> she was like, "How's the book coming on, coming along, Gail?" And Gail's like, um, "I'll send you a copy." And then she gets freaking punched. Okay, well, that in that book that they're discussing, she had written that Cotton Weary might not have been the one who killed Sydney's mom. So that's why Sydney is so upset and you know angry. And Cotton is in custody at that time. So if he wasn't the killer, just it's all a it's all a thing. So it's that same kind of thing being applied here, where Ed Humphrey. Uh, pushed his grandmother and then he punched her. So he hit her in the face when she was on the ground. So it was like very violent. He gets taken into custody. He carries knives. It's perfect. He could definitely be the Gainesville Ripper. Ed, uh, eventually when we find out he didn't do it, he wished people didn't even recognize him or his name. His face was all over the news. So for years he's recognized. And then of course the internet is you know taking off. So he's just plastered everywhere. Being associated with these horrendous crimes was awful, but then he did learn that he needed to take medication and he was pres prescribed for his bipolar disorder that he was diagnosed with. And it's important that the media and true crime docs not demonize mental illness with this villain situation that's constantly used and people are responsible for themselves. Good people are good people regardless of mental illness and bad people are bad people um, regardless of mental illness. Of course, when people let it go, like Ed Humphrey in this situation, which he does take responsibility for not taking medication properly. And this was what resulted, his violent outbursts and being suspected of such a crime. So um, there's that interview on the OrlandoSentinel.com from April 1993. That's only three years after the um, 
murders. So he's really honest about how his life has been going since the murders. And so if you're interested in that, go check it out. And he was um, accused and is nationally known to be associated with the murders. So if, if you're interested, go check it out uh, with his experience with that. He was judged all around the U.S. based on his mugshot, and he was denied jobs and things like that. So it's just very sad. He That's eventually did sad. graduate, and he was a student too. He was a student at the Florida University, and this put a hold on everything. And he didn't end up graduating until uh, the year 2000 from the University of Florida. Jeez. I know, man. Could you imagine? <clears throat> nope. So yeah, every time he would go out to eat, or any go to the store, walk down the street, people, you know, he could see him whispering and it was just bad. So poor guy. Um, forensic, forensics could tell by his crime scenes that Rowling knew what the authorities would be looking for. So he made sure those bodies were clean before he left. But what he forgot was semen also counts. Well, not always, but in this case, it did. His precision was accounted for, the tape being taken from the bodies and out with the killer, the bodies wiped clean with dish soap. So he's doing what he can to try to not be found. And DNA was just getting warmed up in the game of forensics. They needed a blood type. Lucky for us, he was a secretor. His enzymes from his blood were in his semen, and the killer was blood type B. Ed Humphrey's blood type was A. That alone would eliminate him as a suspect. Mm -hmm. Then a Crime Stopper tip came in. It's just all going to pile on. So try to keep up with me here. I'm going to just kind of bounce around. But so the Shreveport murders came back to haunt Danny. He thought he had left those murders far in the past and he was on to bigger and better things in Florida. It was a year since Julie Grissom, William Grissom, and eight-year-old Sean Grissom were killed in their home in Shreveport. The duct tape being removed was probably the biggest thing that caught their eye. Nobody had discussed on TV the kinds of details that were found in the three murders in Shreveport. So the idea that a copycat murder in Florida acting as the Shreveport murderer was very unlikely. So that just shows cops like this might be the same guy. But what was cool is that while in Florida, everybody's there, right? The National Guard, the FBI, the departments are all working together. So the FBI has a critical incident response group called Violent Crime Apprehension Program or VICAP. And in this program, they have someone type in the details of these violent crimes. And that's how the people in Florida got word on what happened in Shreveport. And that's how they were making these connections. So thanks to VICAP, they sent someone from Florida over there to take a closer look at the crime scenes. And there had been a bite mark in Julie Grissom's chest um, on her breast. And they were able to pull DNA from that bite mark. What the fuck? That's crazy. Isn't it crazy? So not only was there VICAP to bring their attention to Shreveport, but then they have a tip come in on the phone and then they have what they discovered at a campsite. So it's just all going to keep piling on. So just stay with me. So back to Florida. After the third set of murders in Florida, the National Guard was there, the FBI, but oh my gosh, the media presence was heavy. Reporters, reporters were following cops that were following leads and they would meddle with the interviews. 
they would basically wait for the cop to be done interviewing the witness. And then when the cops left, they would go ask, the reporters would go ask those people, what were they questioning you about? What a motherfucking, (sighs) yeah. I can't imagine how annoying. So reporters went so far as to bribe the chief of police with a credit card from a bank in the Cayman Islands. So who knows how much money was even on there. And um, they were trying to bribe him, trying to get any details they could from this, um, from these cases, from these murders to put in the media. And he basically told them, you know, shove it up your ass. And uh, they, so they went off with nothing, but, any time that there was some kind of leak, I don't know how they were getting a hold of information, they would print it. And it was disgusting because in one of the instances, the media reported on Krista Hoyt and how she was found. Her parents had not been given the details to that extent. And so Krista Hoyt was the second uh, set of murders. The first set of murders, the the two young women were killed. And then Krista was killed after that. And then it was Manny and Tracy. So Krista Hoyt was the the second murder scene or crime scene. And when they discovered what happened and how her body was found, they printed it. And her parents had to read what happened to their daughter. And they had to see that um, they learned how she was decapitated and her breasts were removed. Despicable. So Yeah, that is really fucking terrible. Their, um, her mother said, like, her friends told her not to read it, like, don't look at the newspaper, but, you know, curiosity. So she and her husband had to learn how her daughter was found through the newspaper. Jesus. Just awful. Um, so, I, I mean, I know, like, we love to read. Like, I want to know the most gruesome details, you know, but it shouldn't just be available to the general public like that. So... Back to nerdy ass Danny Rowling. Um, I, I don't know if y'all remember he wanted to be he wanted to be like a, a country star. So, anyways, uh, he's about to goof up big time. We know that he has a campsite in some Florida woods uh, where he begin begins his killing spree. And well, when the heat turns up in Gainesville, he decides to dip. And thanks to Ed Humphrey for doing all the wrong things at the perfect time for Danny, the police were preoccupied. So he should be fine, right? Just wait it, wait it out and stay low. Uh, but nope, he goes and robs a store because I guess he ran out of uh, the stolen money he already had in his wallet. Um, so in September, he robs a Winn-Dixie at gunpoint in Ocala, Florida and crashes his getaway car after a high-speed chase. Um, so it was inevitable that he was going to be caught. And September 8th was only two weeks after the murders in Gainesville. But how could they know who they really had in custody? The connection was missed not only now, but before. Because on the day Krista Hoyt was murdered, an officer went out to investigate a suspicious man walking into the woods after a bank robbery. Rowling wasn't found at that time. However, his campsite with some belongings were... There was a bag that was used in the robbery with red dye all in it from a red dye pack that the teller had slipped in there with the defaced cash. And among the campsite belongings was the smallest yet the biggest clue ever, a screwdriver. The very screwdriver that had gained rolling access to homes and innocent lives. But dude, there was an even bigger clue. There was a tape player with a cassette tape inside. What? 
Younger people have no idea what I'm talking about. We don't need to explain <laughs> older forms of technology here. So just go ask your parents. But yeah, there was a tape at the at the freaking scene and they didn't freaking listen to it. What? Exactly. I don't care what's going on. I'm going to listen. If I find something, I'm going to watch. I'm going to listen to it. And then I'm going to get a call that says you got seven days. But at least I watched it. Yeah. What okay. the fuck? That's stupid. <laughs> So, like, out of curiosity, I guess they just didn't make the time to listen to the tape. But um, so anyways, they collect everything. And um, I guess what really kind of made them shrug off the campsite besides the the bag of money was there was a gun. And because a gun wasn't used to murder any of these people, they just assumed it had nothing to do with the crimes. But it's like it's in the woods. There's a screwdriver. These are break-ins. Like, can we at least look into this a little closer? Come on. Yeah, what the fuck? Right. So, anywho, so there's that. Because there was a gun there and a gun wasn't used in the murders, they shrugged it off as a separate set of crimes. Well, a tip would come in that would give them a reason to hear the tape. So, he was in the Marion County Jail, and the investigation in Gainesville is actively going, and the murders in Shreveport still have the cops scratching their heads. The posing of the young lady's body showed the demented mind of a serial killer, but there had been no other murders there. And, but the facts of the cold case had Florida interested, so they start looking into it and send someone out there. A week after that, a Crime Stoppers tip comes in. So before Danny was even a suspect um, in Gainesville or any murders, a doctor, Dr. Harry Crop, was contacted by Chief Public Defender in Marion County. I guess when they first arrested him for his robbery, he gave off a weird vibe because they wanted him seen by a psychologist. But I don't know if I should talk about her Crime Stoppers tip first or this. We'll come back to the Crime Stoppers tip because that's a, a big one. But this psychologist who's questioning Danny, who, like I said, is only known to have been robbing at gunpoint. That's the extent of what they know about him. He admits to the burglary. On the way out, Dr. Crop was stopped by Rowling, and he asks him if he could talk to him about something else. So Dr. Crop says, sure, yeah. And uh, he determined that Rowling was competent, and uh, so he's like fit to stand trial for his burglaries, but little does he know what he's about to hear. He says he agreed to talk, and Rowling asked if this would be confidential. Dr. Crop said, by law, it would have to be. Rowling goes on to give a detailed account of each of his murders. The forensic psychologist struggled because he said this was one of the worst things he had ever heard, and he's heard some pretty messed up stuff, but this was dark. He tried not to show emotion as Rowling spoke, and he sat in his car and broke down after the discussion was over. Good, good. So it was <coughs> horrific, probably, what he was telling him. Yeah, I mean, knowing knowing that he was going to have to keep it a secret, he probably let him have it all. Like, mm. yeah, that is really fucked up. I would hate to be that man. Right, he had to carry this information around. So, Doctor Crop was concerned that he would get out of prison based on his burglary charges. Eventually, he would get out of prison, and it was just armed robberies. So. That was the reason he was there. Nobody had any idea what he had just disclosed to the psychologist. So he's concerned and he's like struggling with this information. He was burdened greatly and couldn't report him straight out. But he decided to like try to find a loophole, maybe make an anonymous call or something. So he spoke to chief judge in Alachua, Alachua County 
in Florida. And he asked him hypothetically, like, what can I do here? He kind of gave him the gist of what's going on hypothetically because he can't say. And um, it was confirmed that he could not mention a single bit of any of what Rowling told him. It would ruin the investigation and the trial proceedings down the line if he if he said anything. So he had to keep it to himself. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty devastating. So now let's go over to that Crime Stoppers tip. Um, I referred to it very early on in the first part of this series because this woman had met Danny before and she, when she heard about these murders and stuff, she knew she had to say something. So pretty interesting. Here we go. Let me find it. It wasn't long after Maine's trip to Shreveport that a a woman named Cindy Jurachich called Crime Stoppers to report Danny Rowling. Danny Rowling. The son of a police officer and an aspiring country music singer, Rowling had spent a couple of years in the U.S. Air Force before beginning a career of crime. He was convicted of armed robbery in Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi for several grocery store robberies and spent most of the 1980s in prison. Um, Scott Grissom, who is the brother of Julie Grissom, father of Sean Grissom, and then son of, um, how did I just, it just slipped my mind, but the the man who was murdered in that trio was Scott's father. And Scott Grissom said he didn't know Rowling, but he learned that Rowling had lived with his parents about a half mile away from his father's house. So he performed murders very close to where he's staying at all times. Three months before the Gainesville murders in May 1990, Rowling and his father had an argument in which Rowling's father chased him out of the house at gunpoint, and then Rowling came back with his own gun and shot his father in the face. But we know his father lives. But that is the main thing that made Rowling leave that area, and that's when he goes to Florida or, you know, starts his his killing spree in Florida. Mm-hmm. So Cindy... Jurakic was on a trip through Florida through the Florida Panhandle in August of 1990 when she heard a news report about a grisly string of murders. They immediately made her think about a man from her Louisiana hometown church who used to spend time with her and her family. That man, Danny Rowling. He had told her that one day he was going to leave Shreveport where they lived. He always told us, one day I'm going to leave this town and I'm going to go where the girls are beautiful and I can just lay in the sun and watch beautiful women all day. Over the course of three days, police in Gainesville discovered the bodies of five college students, a man and four women. Three of the women had been raped and one had been decapitated. All of them had been stabbed to death and some were left in sexually provocative positions. The murders were eerily similar to three others that had occurred in Shreveport in November of 1989. She said she thought of Rowling, who just a few months after the murders in their community said something deeply disturbing to her then-husband, Stephen Dobbin. He'd come over every night for a while, and then one night Stephen came in and he goes, he's got to go, Jurakic said. Dobbin told her that Rowling had told him he had a problem. I said, what kind of problem? He likes to stick knives into people. That's what Stephen told her. Her husband had been told by Rowling, I guess, that he liked to stick knives into people. So Stephen then told Cindy. And then that's what came to mind when she saw the murders that were taking place um, in Florida. 
So such a weird coincidence that she's in Florida on vacation and they're both from Louisiana and then there were murders in Shreveport and then murders in Florida. So Jurekic said she dismissed these comments when she heard about them because she didn't want to believe that Rowling could be responsible for the triple murders in Shreveport. But news of the Gainesville murders haunted Jurekic and in November 1990, she decided to contact police on a hunch that Rowling was connected to the murders in both cities. It would not let me rest, she said. One day I picked up the phone and I called Crime Stoppers and I said, I think there's one guy y'all need to investigate, Danny Rowling. By the time she reported rolling, police had already arrested another man who they believed to be a suspect in the Gainesville murders, Ed Humphrey. He had been arrested and charged with assaulting his grandmother, but investigators were taking a hard look at him for the student murders as well. Don Maines, an investigator on the case with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, said they were receiving several tips pointing to Humphrey, then 18. He was known to carry knives, be off his medication for his mental health disorder, and had visible scars on his face. Um, He had a $1 million bond. Former state attorney Rod Smith said that when his, when investigators then searched his home, they found magazines about knives, guns, yada, yada, you know, the gist. So, um, but then they go back to the the DNA and they realize, okay, okay, it couldn't be him. They had a lot of physical evidence, so they, they should just let him go. Right. So they did. I'm taking from the ABC seven Chicago.com website discussing this case. Okay, here we go. Here's the other set of facts that I need to get on here. <clears throat> As concerns of the killer on the loose mounted, police were blah, blah, blah. Okay. Along with the similarities in which the victims were killed, there were other patterns investigators noted. The killer would enter the home through the back doors and each home was near a wooded area, which allowed the killer to operate to get in without being noticed. These details were important because on the day of Krista Hoyt's murder, a police officer responded to a robbery at a bank a half mile away from her home. During the robbery, a teller had slipped a red dye pack into the bag of money. And later on that night, an officer noticed a man walking into a wooded area. So we have to keep this in mind because it was on the day of Krista Hoyt's murder, but he's going to make a confession that I discuss uh, later in the episode. So um, just keep that little point in mind. Um, He said the officer tracked the man to a campsite. While the man had gotten away, the officer found the screwdriver the bag of money defaced by the die and the cassette player with the tape inside. Although the police had collected all the evidence, they did not connect the robbery to the student murders because a gun was found. They didn't listen to the tape until months later, yet it would later prove crucial to finding out who the Gainesville murderer was. As they investigated the case, police grew convinced that Ed Humphrey might be their most likely suspect, but there was one major problem, um, his blood type. And then, um, He was still in police custody when investigators discovered the cold case in Shreveport, Louisiana that had the similarities. So that added another thing to the list of Ed not being the suspect, not being the one to have done all these murders. Um, In Shreveport, Maines found that Julie Grissom's body had been posed. So they're looking into it. And this is all while Ed is in custody and Rowling is in custody. Okay, here it is. So it wasn't long after Maine's trip to Shreveport that Cindy called and gave that tip. 
Once Florida investigators realized that Rowling had multiple convictions for armed robbery, they realized he could have also been responsible for the bank robbery that occurred on the day that Krista Hoyt's body was found. They returned to the evidence locker where the gun, screwdriver, bag of money, and cassette player had been stored. Finally, they listened to the tape. The tape contained recordings of a man talking and singing. In one of the songs, the man sings, Mystery Rider, What's Your Name? You're a Killer, a Drifter, Gone Insane. I know that song. <laughs> well, he said, well, Rowling covered it, so. <clears throat> I mean, that um, sounds, what were the lyrics again? Mystery Rider, What's Your Name? You're a Killer, a Drifter, Gone Insane. Okay, here we go. Yeah, he's oh, his emo. Just, it's, him. it's him. He's he's famous. Oh shit! <laughs> what the fuck? Maybe you've heard. Maybe you did hear that song somehow before. But but <laughs> it's um, out there. Um, I thought it was something else. Hmm. And <clears throat> if YouTube, if YouTube would have been around back then, do you think he would have became a murderer? Probably not. <laughs> he could have just been singing his little songs. Okay. Can you? So, oh, it's <laughs> fucking Riders in the Sky? By who? Hold on. Let me, <laughs> let me, okay. Hold on, Riders. <laughs> we have to know the original artist for this lyric. Okay. We can't have people plagiarizing over here. Amy Schumer. <laughs> Danny Rowling and Amy Schumer got something in common. Uh, <laughs> I probably oh, shouldn't say that. What the f- I am so hold on, hold on. I'm gonna figure this out. Mystery writer, what's your name? You're a killer, a drifter, gone insane. Here we are. Here's okay. Uh, <laughs> what the. <clears throat> okay, I it the way you said it, and I'm sure that's exactly the way he did it. But it sounds like this song called uh, "Ghost Riders in the Sky" by Johnny Cash. I think oh. it might be by somebody else first, but I knew it because of Johnny Cash. Interesting. Well, but I, it's like to the, that tune here. Let's see if you can hear. <clears throat> it's titled Mystery Rider. It's like very <laughs> Western. Yes. See what I'm saying? That's what I heard yeah. it as in my head. So okay. I see. That makes sense. Okay. I'm not insane. I was like, oh my god, no. what is happening? <laughs> I'm sure he's he's probably taken inspiration from many country musicians. Yeah. He wanted to be a TikTok music star. star. He would have <laughs> instead of a serial killer. Oh my god. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's so cringy. I can't, I feel bad, but he's a killer, so like. I guess it's allowed to make fun of him, but he sings <clears throat> multiple times, like in oh. front of people, like during his trial and stuff. So it's oh, like, Lord. Mm, <laughs> yeah, there's 
Yeah, I don't know. There's like a disconnect, but um, <laughs> the, the title. Like, I just want somebody to hear my goddamn singing. Somebody just recognize me, like for my talents, like what they really are. Um, he's he's like still hoping someone in the crowd's gonna stand up and be like, "I discovered the next country star." That is terrible. Um. Oh my god! But real quick, have you seen the Elvis trailer yet? Oh my god! No. There's an Elvis movie coming. I did not know that. With the Broadway star that's playing Elvis um, singing a few of his earlier songs. So he actually does sing and dance in the movie. And Tom Hanks started out as Forrest Gump meeting Elvis, and he's back in the movie about Elvis. Oh, that's cute. What is he? He gets to play the guy who who signed him. Oh, of course. He's wearing prosthetics. It's pretty cute. He's wearing what? prosthetics he has like a big chin and they made him like chubby oh what the fuck that is trippy it's gonna be cool um but yeah it looks good i don't know enough about elvis but i just thought i would tie that in because we're talking about music show um back to it okay so another lyric is you're a killer a drifter gone insane you're a rebel no one can tame and it's Mm -hmm. on his song mystery rider what exactly is he riding on because he just steals cars every now and then. Lightning. He's never ridden a horse probably in his life. He's, He's over here. He's riding on lightning. <laughs> Grease lightning. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's so weird. I just got a flashback of um, Manny Tabota, the one of the students who was killed. He was in drama club or something, and I think he was in Greece because I saw a photo of Whoa, and he had his hair slicked back. Really weird. What a weird parallel there. But, um, yeah, he was in drama club, so – so anyways, um, most usefully, though, Rowling said his full name at the end of the tape. Like, he, like, signs off with his name. What a weirdo. But eerily still, he says, he, he said, I'm signing off for a bit. I, I have something to do. And then he goes. He, like, goes and kills Manny and Tracy later that, like, Jeez. that same week. If not that same day, like, I'm not sure if he literally puts the tape recorder down and goes and kills, but that's the murder that the two murders that happen after he records this tape. Jesus. And they find it. So, Um, and I really want to know if the same, if everything happened that day, like he makes this song, records it, leaves it in the woods, does the robbery, kills Krista, comes back. His stuff is, he's got to leave his stuff. And it gets taken. So he does he doesn't get a chance to like take the tape out. He doesn't get a chance to I don't know. It's just a weird um events happening here. So mm-hmm. um they listen to that tape. He's talking and singing bizarrely. He also gives like instructions on how to take down a deer, um, kill it with one shot, you know, stuff like that, how to gut a deer. Like there's weird, it's like weird. So there's a mixture of like singing, talking, um, but the most important thing is uh when he signs off and says, I have to sign off for a bit, got something I got to do. And boom, the next murders were Manny and Tracy. That is um, he was like, he was like an emo Christian country artist, which is fine. <laughs> we love someone who expresses themselves, but these violent tendencies um, were a problem. So the day the campsite was found, they put together that rolling killed Krista, robbed the bank, had to leave the campsite and make a new one somewhere else. And they took everything without listening to that tape for months. Um, 
And he was in custody 40 miles south of Gainesville, and they still didn't like really make the connection. The Winn-Dixie that was robbed, that he was wanted for robbing, was only 30 miles from Gainesville. So he was like on his way out of town, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, they reached out to the military to get his motherfucking blood type. And guess what? He's blood type B. So now they really have a reason to think that he's he's done all of these things. And then they were wondering if Ed Humphrey maybe like helped him with some of these, but he did not. They, I think at that point, that's probably whenever Ed Humphreys is, is let go. <clears throat> I keep saying Humphreys. You want to know the real embarrassing why is because the reason why is because I'm watching the Kardashians again and I'm on the part where Kim just divorced Chris Humphreys. Stop there, it. I said it. <laughs> Thanks for freaking dragging that out of me, Daniela. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Okay, not funny. So investigators had blood samples from the crime scene. So like they got his blood type, they figured out it was probably him, but then he had a tooth extracted. I got information from different websites and I don't know what information came first or what, but at, at some point a tooth was extracted. So they had all kinds of DNA from rolling to compare to these crime scenes and the Gainesville and everything. So finally the test They test rolling against the DNA evidence and they find out that he has enough on him for the Gainesville murders. But at this point, they don't know if he committed the Shreveport ones because he won't say. Um, He is moved to Florida State Prison. He was facing multiple life sentences for the armed robberies only at this point. So I'm, I'm going back and forth again. So I don't think while I'm talking about this part, they haven't officially made him the main suspect yet. So he's in there formally charged with only... Um, the robberies. But then in June of 1992 is when they're able to charge him with the ga- the five Gainesville murders. He began corresponding with Sandra London, I think, or let me see what her name is. This bitch is dumb because guess what? She falls in love with him. Oh my God. She's supposed to be a journalist, just like putting together like the making of a murder <laughs> type thing. But she says that some kind of physiological thing happened to her where the second she saw him, she just like her ears felt red and she was like in love. So what in the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know. Um, What's her name? What's her name? I don't want to say the wrong name. I know her first name is Sandra for sure. Sandra London is a controversial American true crime author. She was the one-time girlfriend of convicted murder and suspected killer G.J. Schaefer and then the fiancé of convicted killer Danny Rowling. So they got engaged. It was cute. It's a cute little moment. Um, So she's a journalist. She's corresponding with Rowling while he's in prison um, for this the making of a serial killer um, in the works that she's doing. And of course she got all hot and bothered hearing all these details and they got engaged. Oh my God. He had been pleading not guilty this whole time, claiming he had a demon or an alternate personality called Gemini. And then the other one who is not as dangerous as Gemini, but it's Danny spelled backwards. So try to say that. He named them both. And in trial, it was realized that regardless of his diagnosis, he had recently watched The Exorcist 3 in Florida whenever he was doing these killings. So they think he just like tried to blame it on a personality demon. Get out of um, 
Yeah. So that was used against him in court. Like, okay, so you just saw this movie and now you're just trying to blame something that's not you, but it's inside you. Um, So, but then he had confessed his crimes like outright to a fellow inmate named Bobby Lewis. And he was very bothered by this. He, A, didn't want to know and B, was so disturbed. He mentions how even like a Stephen King novel couldn't even touch how horrific the murders were that Danny told him about. Um, There were letters that he wrote to Bobby, but it just didn't count as a confession. So they did this thing where they put a camera and they had the cops in the room with Danny Rowling and his little buddy, Bobby Lewis. And they would ask questions. And if Bobby Lewis didn't already know the answers that Danny had told him, Danny would whisper into Lewis's ear and then relay the information. So this is all just very, like, annoying to me. Like, Danny, don't be such a fucking little bitch. Like, mm-hmm. say what you did to us and stop whispering little secrets all over the jail. Like, either you say it or you just don't. Like, mm-hmm. come on. This is like uh, – he's like a brat. It just seems very, like, spoiled brat behavior. Um, so, um, finally, he f- confessed his crimes. And I guess because he – took part in the interactions confessing these crimes, it counted. So he can go down for the Gainesville murders at this point. They recorded these interviews and Bobby is present to answer the questions for Rowling. And finally they have Danny confess to specific things that happened in the murder cases that people didn't know. So they can really tell like, okay, he wouldn't know these details unless he was there or he did it. Mm -hmm. Um, In February of 1994, before the start of his trial, he changed his plea to guilty. And um, before doing the Gainesville murders, because that's what he was on trial for. So when he pleads guilty, that goes ahead and just says, yeah, I did it. Um, His mother testified and spoke of the abuse they endured from her husband. A psychiatrist also took the stand to describe his condition, an alternate personality. Gemini, that was discussed. And so the lawyer, like, Ripped him to shreds over that via asking the psychiatrist questions. And then two other psychiatrists testified that a severe personality disorder was in play, but stated that he knew the magnitude of his crimes. And the jury unanimously found Rowling guilty of the first degree murder on all five counts in late March. And a month later, he was sentenced to death. His execution was set for October 25th, 2006 in Florida, 47 people came to watch his execution, double the capacity of the viewing room. Among the crowd of onlookers was Diana Hoyt, Krista Hoyt's mother. She bravely went to represent her family and show Rowling that she showed up to watch him die. He didn't have power over anyone anymore because he was about to die. So that's pretty much what she, some, she, make, she like makes it more like poetic than that, but that's the gist. Um, she wanted to see him die which is very weird for her because she's a nurse so she talks about that in her interview too like she'll save people's lives all day long but this was um, a struggle for her to to be okay with someone dying for once because he took her daughter so Mm -hmm. let me go actually back to the abc article so at the trial let me take it back real quick Oh, oh yeah. So at the trial, they learned information that they they didn't know of before. So 
Investigators sat with Lewis and Rowling in that room, and Lewis had to answer questions for Rowling. After Lewis told the investigators what Rowling had told him, they would ask Rowling if he knew Lewis, if what Lewis said was correct. Rowling's affirmations were caught on tape. It was important because he was participating in the confession. The questioning elicited new details about the murders. Hewitt said they learned that Rowling had returned to the crime scene after killing Crystal Hoyt because he thought he might have left his wallet there. Oh, my God. It was upon revisiting the scene that he decided to decapitate her. Isn't that so sick? Oh, my goodness. He's like, well, while I have time. And then he puts her head on the shelf facing her own body while her feet are on the ground and her torso is slumped over on the bed. Like, no. Sickening. He's like, oh, my wallet. Let me go look for it. I'm not sure if it was at the crime scene or not, but this is where I'm confused because that day when he killed her, did they find his campsite while he was back at the crime scene? Oh, shit. Or where the fuck did he go? Um, that's the timeline I'm confused about is he kills Krista Hoyt and then somehow, I'm not sure when he robs that bank, but they call, they go and investigate the campsite and they find all that stuff. They don't find him. So I guess he just escaped while they were in pursuit of him and they, that's, they just find the campsite. I don't know. But I'm not sure. Like, did, did he get back from the the crime scene for the second time when they follow him to the woods? I don't know. Weird. I don't. Because he stole that money. So what does he need his wallet for? Other than, <laughs> I guess, his identity is in there. So he better make sure it's not at the freaking crime scene. Yeah. Anywho. So he returned and um, that's when he decapitated her and did all that. Um. And then this is when Lewis says, I've never been told nothing in reality. I've never been, I've never read nothing in a Stephen King novel that comes close to what reality is of what that man did. They also learned that as Rowling fought with Manny Tabota, Tracy Pauls heard the commotion and came into Tabota's room. When she saw Rowling, she ran back to her bedroom where she tried to lock her door. However, Rowling was able to break through it. Tracy asked him, you're the one, aren't you? And he said, yeah, I'm the one. Jeez. Could you imagine the amount of terror she felt like she ran to her bedroom? Like, I don't know what I would do. Literally, if you came home and you saw Jeremy in a struggle with a big man, like this man is six feet tall. Where do you, what do you do? Like help him run, go to your bedroom, run out the door. I just would hmm. run out the, okay. What I think would happen would be, I would run out the door, but Mm-hmm. If he's blocking the door, or I have been known to be stupid, so I would probably. Well, when run I mean, that is room. a sight to see. Yeah, that is a sight to see. All you know is you need to get out of there. You know, get well, away I would from the killer. Be like, where the fuck are the dogs? <laughs> That's what I would say too. Like, do I go get my dogs? Like, what do I do here? But um, terrifying. I can't imagine that feeling of and what was sad about it too is that Danny knew that if Manny was awake and uninjured, he would have easily fought Danny. Like Danny probably wouldn't have even gotten out of there because Manny was like a huge guy. And Danny was like, it's weird saying Manny and Danny, but Manuel Taboda was a large like athlete guy. Like, I don't know. But then Danny's six feet tall. I just don't know how strong the guy is. I mean, Cindy, the person who did the Crime Stoppers tip, mentioned that he would, um, like, 
walk around with a log on his shoulders, Danny would, like doing, I don't know, like military training in the woods with camouflage on. So he has some kind of strength. And obviously he's been able to take down these women um, during these attacks. But whenever he went into that apartment, he stabbed Manny while Manny was sleeping on the couch. So that's what caused the whole like (laughs) struggle between them. Like he woke up, he was already stabbed at least once Mm -hmm. and he fought until Danny stabbed him a lot more times and he just went down. So at that point he goes and breaks down Tracy's door and Tracy's terrified and asks him if he's the serial killer everybody's been scared of. And he says, yes. Um, As the questioning went on, Rowling began to say he'd dealt with different personalities all my life. He told investigators about two of his darker personalities, Enod, which is Danny spelled backwards. Wow. And Gemini. (laughs) I know. Like, how cringy could you be? Like, you're going to be singing country songs and then you're going to come out here with this. But okay. Um, I didn't buy it, said forensic psychologist Harry Kropp. This was Danny looking for something that could make what happened more dramatic and minimize his own culpability by saying the devil made me do it. Although they had a confession for the Gainesville murders, investigators were not able to get Rowling to admit to the Shreveport murders during their questioning, which I wonder why, like, might as well confess unless he had, like, some kind of deep-rooted issue where, like, those were so traumatizing for him that he doesn't want to like get back to that point or something. Mm-hmm. It was his first set of murders ever. Um, so Rowling also made it clear to investigators that he acted alone and Ed Humphrey had no involvement in the student murders. Authorities subsequently cleared Humphrey of all involvement in the murders. He was released from jail 10 months after he'd assaulted his grandmother. Jeez. Um, it was the desperation of the time and the need to get that guy, Smith said. We made a mistake. Rowling's trial for the five student murders began on February 15, 1994, nearly four years after he killed the five students. For the families of those students, being there to see him at trial was crucial. I wanted to represent Tracy, said Lacey, Paul's sister. I keep saying to myself, it's the last thing I can do for her. Side note about um, Lahey, or Lahey, L-A-H-E-Y. I guess that's her last name, maybe. Uh, Tracy's sister, her older sister, they were so close. I was watching this 2020 special and they grew up doing little home videos on VHS tapes for their family. And their dad loved it so much. He would be like, oh, do that dance at like family parties. They would like make little choreographed dances, the two of them. And so they would perform it for their family. Well, um, when they were all grown up and her older sister got married, Tracy and her older sister did a dance at her wedding and it's also taped. Oh Lord. Isn't that sweet? They did one of their childhood choreographed dances at her wedding. I thought that was so sweet. It is. And I would have, <clears throat> that's like sweet yeah. and cringe at the same time. <laughs> it's what? Sweet and cringe at the same time. Yeah. True. 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 Like, come on dad, don't embarrass us. But it was at her wedding. So it was like sweet. Yeah. Um, I wanted to represent Tracy. I kept saying to myself, it's the last thing I can do for her. And then I wanted to know every detail. Ada Larson says, I had to know what Sonia went through. I had to know it. Oh, I don't know if I could sit through listening to how my loved one was murdered. Like yeah, no, nope, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, uh, Diana Hoyt said they held hands as Rowling was brought into the court. Leahy said, seeing this man who destroyed my life made her feel frozen to the chair. 
State Attorney Rod Smith said that before the court could proceed with the case, Rowling and his defense lawyer stood up. Rowling wanted to address the court. Your Honor, I've been running from the first one thing and then another all my life, Rowling said, but there are some things that you just can't run from and this being one of those. Rowling pleaded guilty to all counts, but because he was facing the death penalty, a jury was still required to hear the evidence and make a recommendation on punishment to the judge, life in prison or death. So he goes ahead and that's the moment I mentioned earlier where he finally decides to plead guilty. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's right before we have to hear all this evidence anyway. So I guess maybe he was trying to avoid saying everything that he did. But nope, you still gotta you still gotta do your trial. So um, every time they'd mentioned Tracy's name, it was like a, pl- a punch in the head. Like he said, Rowling's defense presented mitigating factors for why he might have committed the murders, including his troubled history with his father. Witnesses testified to the abuse they'd seen. Claudia Rowling, Danny's mother, also testified. When asked if she ever felt that her husband was treating her son inappropriately, she said, "Sure, I guess." Sometimes he would put him up against the wall. The marks of his fingers would be there, and he shook him a lot and, a, and sort of scared me, Claudia said. To Christina Powell's friend, Allison Emery, said the defense's strategy was a slap in the face. So they were really trying to make everybody feel bad for Danny Rowling, which we all know, like, come on, he killed these people. We can't feel bad for him. Yeah. It's impossible. It was like, here's a reason he killed the person you loved, she said, so let's take it easy on him. Diana Hoyt said she didn't believe any of it. There's many people that have abusive parents. They don't go out and commit crimes like this. Prosecutors also attacked Rowling's claims that he had multiple personalities and he was overtaken by his evil Gemini side when he murdered his victims. This argument, Smith claims, was purely based on a character in the film Exorcist 3, which Danny Rowling had admitted to watching on the week he murdered in Gainesville. Jesus. He just stole that and used it as part of his his story, Smith said. Danny committed these crimes for one reason only. He loved it. Ultimately, the jury recommended five death sentences for Rowling, and the judge agreed, sentencing him to execution. And then um, Manny Tabota's uh, brother, Mario, was in the crowd, and he shouted, You're going down in five. Do you understand that? In less than five years, we have the last say. We will prevail. Our children's names will be remembered over him. A judge ordered him removed from the court. I did that at the time because I read that serial killers like to be in control, Mario Tabota told ABC News, so I wanted to have the last word. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, yeah. So here's when he finally decides to freaking admit it, which once again, it's like, okay, what is this pathetic public display? But Danny Rowling was put to death by lethal injection on October 25th, 2006. But prior to his death, he spoke to a pastor and handed him a note. On it, he admitted to killing 55-year-old William Grissom, 24-year-old Julie Grissom, and 8-year-old Sean Grissom in Shreveport. Investigators were 100% sure that he was the one that did it, Scott Grissom said. And honestly, they advised that he'd die much faster in Florida. And I said, well, leave him there. Just leave him there. So they didn't really want to put up a fight as to adding the Shreveport murders to his Mm -hmm. thing. But I guess it was a plus that he went ahead and admitted it at the end. That is insane isn't it it's crazy for the family members of the gainesville victims it was another moment in this long and heartbreaking story i wanted to be there in the front row if i could i knew until he was gone i couldn't really start my life again and be me tracy's sister said 
The families whose loved ones were murdered in Gainesville say they were grateful for the simple memorial that remains today. On a stretch of road running through the city, there is a graffiti-covered wall. One piece of this wall has remained unchanged for more than 30 years. The section where the names of the five victims are painted in remembrance. Sonia Larson, Christina Powell, Krista Hoyt, Manuel Taboda, Tracy Pauls. It's a place for all of us families to go and see their children's names still living there, Diana Hoyt said. They're gone, but their memory has to always endure, Mario Tabota said. In a way, talking about Manny, as I do sometimes with those who knew him, they're kind of alive for that moment, and so it's comforting. His last meal, if anyone was interested, uh, was a lobster tail served with drawn butter, butterfly shrimp with cocktail sauce, a baked potato with sour cream and butter, and a strawberry cheesecake and sweet tea. Wow. When asked if he wanted to address the crowd or have any last words, he instead started singing a hymn, um, something along those lines. And it's, uh, oh, Lord, none greater than thee. Oh, Lord, none greater than thee. And then his mic was cut off and he was. (laughs) They start booing him and throwing tomatoes. Could you imagine? I wish. Like, why be so respectful? He got to eat a fucking lobster tail. Back there, like. Cut it off. Cut that shit off. Cut it off. <laughs> They're laughing. Yeah. They're putting filters on a Snapchat while he's up there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Anyways. Um, oh, and uh, 34th Street in Gainesville is where that mural with all the names is um, still up to this day. Well, that's nice. Go Gators. Very sad. That is the story of the Gainesville Ripper. That was intense. Wasn't it? Oh my God. Are they going to make a movie about this? Like directly? Maybe they have already. Because I need this explained. Like the whole timeline part. Like Ed Humphrey is in prison there. He's over here robbing and stealing. There's a campsite like nobody cares about. I, I just need it to be put into a show so I can like, <laughs> I don't know. I can absorb it better, I guess that way. But anyways, um, very, very dark, very fascinating. He's a loser. Um, can't stand him. And yeah, I don't know. He's not a very good singer either. Can tell him I said that. Hmm. I wonder how his fiance is. Did she marry someone else? They're like forever engaged or what? <laughs> yeah, how does that work? She's having his little ghost children. Stop it. <laughs> her, it's weird. Her interviews, like the guy was not nice to her at all, which I mean, rightfully so, because she was falling in love with a serial killer. Like who does that? I mean, I don't know. I don't even, I can't even say I understand the appeal anymore. Like, even if they're hot, like. Yeah, I would be scared, first of all. Yeah, seriously. Everybody wants to tame the bad boy. Yeah, that is to the extreme. (laughs) Like, I'm right there with you, ladies, but not. Right, right, right. Actually. To a certain extent. Not anymore. Like, (laughs) I've had my tangle with. My fair share, but now it literally is like exhausting. <laughs> uh, it has to come from some kind of emotional immaturity or something. I don't know. I don't know. 
what do you think this is a movie like if he could kill you he would yeah, lady. like it's not romantic at all bitch you are going to die and horrifically at that it's probably like a, a specific category of what a pick me would be what's a pick me? but for killers <gasps> a pick me it's a category of girl i guess a guy could be a pick me too but girls are just more like they put more effort into it but a pick me is the kind of girl that's her intentions are to be the best girl out of the group. So they want to be picked by guys. Oh. And that's the goal. So if this is not your goal, this is not freaking apply to you. Don't get your panties in a twist. A pick me is like, oh my God, I love beer and football. Ooh, I hate getting my that nails was done. Me for a minute. But I didn't. Say that was everybody for a minute. <laughs> that was me in middle school for sure. And probably up until yesterday. But <laughs> I'm working on it every day. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. If anybody's offended, okay, I'm offended too because it's real. Yeah, it is very real. <laughs> I live with one, too. <laughs> oh, it's so she fun. But that's part of growing up. It's part of growing up in a world of misogyny and, you know, we're all supposed to not get along with women and women are so difficult. I get along better with men. I'm so glad you guys are here. Let's have a great Yeah, time. that shit makes me want to fucking... <laughs> Shoot myself in the face. Like, I... Right. Like, let's just generalize all women into one category. Yeah, it's disgusting. That I thought that way for mm -hmm. a good amount of time is disgusting. We, it just goes to show how strong misogyny is, and people don't want to believe it. Like, it will have you yes. thinking a certain way, and you won't even know and it. You like, you won't even fucking know it. Exactly. Oof. I fucking um, hate people so yeah. all over again. You just... Me too. This, literally what I'm about to say has, like, there's, the only correlation is that I fucking hate people and people suck. <laughs> there you go. That's always the end lesson. It is. But here, everyone's going to rage with me. I, at least they better. <laughs> but, so I fucking hate when people keep their dogs in the bed of their trucks. <clears throat> like, if you're, if you're going yes. down the street, I can kind of... I can kind mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. see where that would be okay. Like if the dog is like right. muddy or something, like I can kind of see. Just But not on a freaking highway. Yeah. If you're going yeah. on the fucking freeway with your dog in the back, I'm going to fucking rage scream at you and I fucking hate yeah, you. That makes me – it scares me. Well, today <clears throat> I was on my way oh, to God. the bank and I was on the fucking loop, which is an expressway, which is 75 miles fucking per hour. And mm -hmm. everyone drives like fucking 75 on that thing anyways. Uh, there was a flatbed truck with a dog in the back. On the flatbed. No. On the flatbed. No, no restraints whatsoever. No. Literally right in front of me. Abby, I felt my soul leave my body. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Did you honk? Well, I mean, I don't know why. I, I was afraid do, to startle the dog. Like, I didn't know. I True. literally, my heart sank to my stomach. Ugh. I mean, to my fucking asshole. That. Yeah. Me too. Just imagining that. It's so weird you bring that up because I recently saw some, literally, like the day before yesterday, I saw something about that and I can't shake it. No, if it's really sad, um, I mean, don't do it. It is very sad and very graphic, but um, before I got to that point, before I got to that point, I was just on a YouTube video about like 10 things dogs hate, 10 things dogs like. Like there was different things about dogs. I just happened to have it on. And one of them was like things you shouldn't do. 
And it was like, you shouldn't let your dog hang out the window. Oh, And yeah. I was like, but people love doing that. But it, but yeah, that, that even makes yes. me nervous too. Like when the window is all the way yes. down and the dog is completely hanging out. Like if yes. they fell out of the – Well, not even just falling <gasps> out. It makes me think of hereditary. Get hit by a car. Oh, shit. That too. Oh, my God. Um, I can't. If a car is too close, they're like an 18 That's wheeler. what I'm <gasps> saying, bitch. Yeah, they could hit you or the car – the dog could fall and then get hit by a car. Yeah. I just can't. I just can't imagine seeing something like that. It would ru- it would ruin my life. But Dude, that's what I thought was. They, oh God, I would not want to see anything. I would have like been like that. Abby. We can't record today. <laughs> I'm too. I mean, yeah, no, really. Even just videos or like people talking about it, like what they've seen before. I'm just like, I can't. Yeah, this dude, is horrible. I can't. Uh, it was smaller reasons. They, there were big reasons too, obviously, like the dog could fall out of the window, but there were smaller reasons like bugs getting in their eyes, ears, wind getting in their eyes and ears. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing was if they fall. And if they have a leash attached, they could get dragged. Yeah. <gasps> oh my God. No, thank you. One of my no, friends, thank you. Uh, her dad, he put the dog in the bed of the truck and he, the dog was tied but he jumped mm-hmm. off and the rope wasn't long mm-hmm. enough. So he was like hanging. He didn't die, thank God. But Oh, thank God. You should have pressed. Because somebody <laughs> was like honking. They were like laying on Jesus. the horn. Like there's the there's Bitch, I would drive in front of the car if I had to. Right. And be like, stop. My friend's dad was like, oh, fuck, what's happening? And he pulls over and the dog is just hanging there. <laughs> Oh God, that dog is like, I never. Yeah, dude. Speak to I you. was like, what the again? Fuck? And there's someone else that I know <laughs> that exact same thing happened, but the dog died. Oh, I don't like. Yes, that. dude. Oh, God, no. I fucking hate humans so much. Like, I know that I overthink literally anything, yeah. but that's something I just wouldn't yeah. risk. Like, I don't. Well, and mm-hmm. today I almost had, like, I literally almost had a heart attack because at some point. The dog got um, like it was sitting in in the middle of the flatbed. Like it was sitting in the middle, and I'm like, it's afraid mm-hmm. it doesn't want to move. Well, something mm-hmm. caught its attention, and it turned around and ran to the edge of the flatbed, like it was gonna get whatever it jump. was. And then I was like, oh. it's gonna jump. And mm-hmm. I literally, I was like, I'm going to have a heart attack. Like I need to, but I, and it was literally right in front of me. And I was like, if this dog falls off, I'm going to be the one that hits him. And I'm not going to be able to live yeah. with myself. Yeah, so, that too. But I also didn't want to move because I'm like, I would, at this point, would rather a car hit me instead of the dog. <laughs> True. You would just have to slam yeah, on brakes to try like, to avoid the dog. Doing. And I was like, oh my God, I can't. Like, I need to get, I need to exit. <laughs> So I took an exit earlier than I wanted to because I just couldn't. My anxiety literally, I was like about to start crying. I was so worked up. You're like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to be part of it. I don't want to. Thankfully, though, when the dog got to the edge, it like realized, oh, I can't go after it. And it went right back to the spot that it was. (laughs) Lucky that freaking sometimes dogs are not that smart. Yeah. Or they see a cat or something, they want to jump out. Like, no, I know two please. motherfuckers in the other goddamn room that would do that. They would not yeah. even think oh, twice yeah. and just jump. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I oh. crack the window. I do not roll it all the way down. Thank goodness. Neither dog likes – Sassy is in the crate. She doesn't like the car <laughs> or the rides or anything. And, like, <laughs> she would rather sleep than look out the window. Yeah. <laughs> but 
Lilith and Apple are afraid, so. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. <coughs> oh, my God. So that was part two of my Scream series from Film Reels to Real Kills. And on part three, it's going to be after Daniela's turn. And we will be back with a completely separate crime that influenced the Scream franchise. I hope you guys have been enjoying this little experiment that I'm doing um, so far. Uh, Let me know what you guys think. The Gainesville Ripper is very well known. If I missed any details, I'm sorry about that. Um, There is an awesome 2020 special about the Gainesville killings. So go check that out. Um, Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Gimme the Creeps, G-I-M-M-E, the Creeps. We have a Twitter and yeah, just make sure you give us a follow and it would be awesome if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And Spotify. And and Spotify, yeah. Um, Share our episode with your family and friends if you found it interesting. We really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you. So did we give you the Creeps?